Breakfast, January 4th, 2020. One smoothie, blueberries, blackberries, pineapple chunks, one banana. Two waffles, heated syrup, one cup of tea, citrus, two bags. <sighs> Light snow outside. I've been on break. I've been away from my computer, from the show, from talking, from thinking in this sort of way. And I'm honestly very, very excited. So, I I don't think I'll go too much into my holidays or what happened, because the times that I spent were those times, and um, they were lovely. But I, I will talk a bit about what I hope to accomplish or or um, or learn this year. Um, I want to pursue a language. I have some background in French, but it's been years since I even looked at it. And I'm going to Japan this year in August, so I'm, I'm also torn and wanting to learn some Japanese. So I think I'm going to pursue the Japanese. I think I'm going to try, re- regardless of the difficulties I've heard of. We'll see how it goes. I, w- I want to watch movies this year. I want to watch far more movies. My goal is to watch at least 365 movies this year, if not more. I'm three in. I've watched Paprika, Uncut Gems, and Manchester by the Sea, two of which were rewatches, but that's fine. Uncut Gems is phenomenal. I'd like to say that. Um, again, wow. Adam Sandler fucking kills it. Um... My goals this year are mostly mental because I've learned that those are the things that are far and away the most important to exercise daily. I'd like to read more instead of being on my phone. I'd like to finish multiple books this year because I've had trouble doing so. I'd like to meditate more. I got a new meditation pad for Christmas. Very, very excited about that. I'd like to write more and not spend so many days away from my journal. And and above all this, I want to quiet the voice that makes me wonder if all of these resolutions are correct or not, or or the voice that's asking if any of it's correct at all. I want to have the most authentic year I possibly can, mean precisely what I say, and feel no strange cloud above me when I'm talking that's saying, "Watch, watch your words, or... Or, or or think of what the others around you are thinking of what you're saying. Though that's something to consider. I, I just mean, I want to not have that conversation with myself. I want to be thoughtful of what I say to others, but I also want to feel very good about what I'm saying. I want to not have any hesitancy. Hesitancy? It's funny that <laughs> I hesitate while saying that. Um, my... My plan is to be forward-thinking, thoughtful, creative, and distance myself from distractions like social media. As much as a thing as that is to say, I think it's very important to recognize it. Um, I think it'll be a good year. I think if I work on my mind and I treat now kindly and I treat others kindly, I think it'll be fruitful. I'm scared. The decade's over. I'm 20 still. I'm still just horrified of most things. Most things around me are just loud and bright and colorful. And 
extreme, <clears throat> pardon my voice, and my life's going to change drastically here in a year. I'll be graduated. I'll be graduated from college, and I'll be going to who knows where. But I'm I'm ready for all of it. I really, really am. I'm I'm ready to love. I'm ready to fear. I'm ready to mean exactly what the fuck I'm saying. That's all I want. That's all I want is to mean what it is that I'm saying. And to not be fearful of that and to not get too caught up in in the moments of my life being moments and 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 too often I'll be living and I'll think of a present moment from a future standpoint. So I'll be thinking while I'm living in a moment, wow, how is this going to look to me in the future? Is this going to be a kind memory? And that's not really a conversation I'd like to have with myself too often. I'd like to be lost within the present more so. So I, I hope I hope if you believe in resolution or you see the, the turning of the decade or the year as a chance for something new or an opportunity that you take hold of it and that you learn more about yourself you never stop learning about yourself. And and if you don't, I, I hope that you you see all all time and all days as an opportunity. Because that's what I'm gonna aim to do. <clears throat> I will quit babbling now. My guest today, Simon Taufik, composer of the PBS documentary The Interpreters, a beautiful, heart wrenching documentary about Afghani and Iraqi interpreters for the US government and their struggle to gain US citizenship post uh post occupation it's a very tough tough documentary to watch um but i think it's it's rather relevant right now considering the recent attacks in iran and yeah it's a lot man but but simon is such a sweetheart and um people like him are the reason why i do this He's very, very forward and very thoughtful, and I'm, I'm so thankful for that. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy your year. I hope things come through for you. I hope the sadness feels good even when it hits. I hope the anger feels exercising when it hits. I, I hope for all the best for anybody who listens to this, and I appreciate you, and I appreciate Simon. So here's to 2020. I hope you enjoy my chat with Simon Tofik. What have you been up to? Uh, I just had a great meeting with a uh, director and a collaborator on a couple of projects that I'm working on as a composer, but also producer. So that's really exciting. Uh, it was nice to yeah. So it was a good, a good, uh, inspiring talk on a Friday. Are those more uh, feature kind of pieces or more documentary kind of yeah. pieces? Yeah, uh, feature and also TV series. Oh, that's very exciting. Yeah. What? So uh, it's uh, I, yeah. I've been dabbling a lot in. Uh, uh, in series, uh, developing different TV series, and uh, mm-hmm. along with all the other things, so it's been yeah, it's been a lot of fun. What's the What's the difference for you in like composing for a documentary versus a feature film versus a TV series? Like, how's that process change? Uh, well, uh, the 
there are differences. They're, they're all entirely different uh, mediums. Mm-hmm. And so they have uh, different expectations. Uh, so certainly for a feature, uh, you've got the, uh, the narrative that's taking place over an hour and a half or two hours. Right. And depending on whether it's a, uh, a plot-driven piece or a genre-based piece or if it's character driven like something like Joker for mm-hmm. example that's a great example for me as a character study and uh, seeing how this uh, this one character evolves over the course of the film uh, and I see TV series in a similar way because uh, we're following characters through a lot of different scenarios from episode to episode and following them through the arc of a season mm-hmm. so it could be like a 10 hour film uh, as opposed to uh, uh, just half-hour segments or hours, hour-long segments, uh, and then documentary. That uh, is a lot. There's a lot of talking, and there's a lot of information that's being uh, disseminated to an audience. And a lot of times, the music is trying to remind us of the emotional stakes that are at play and the the bigger meaning of what all this information and what all this education and uh, uh, and dissemination is really all about like what's the point of educating us on all of these on all this history and all of the the different uh things that are taking place in this in all of these characters and all of these uh events that are going on uh and it's the music is very often for me uh, i find uh being used as a tool to connect us again with the emotional stakes mm-hmm so do you feel then that when you're when you're composing for each medium, like, does it feel like there's a different air to the way that you compose? Like there's a seriousness that you attach to maybe a documentary or like you want to draw out the series longer? Like, or does it just, it does it come more naturally when you're doing it? Uh, it's certainly uh, a combination. Uh, first of all, it has to feel natural in, uh, in how I'm thinking of it. Uh, and how I want to experience it as an audience member. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, uh, if it's too structured, if it's too, uh, if it's used too much as a device, I'm getting, people are going to know it. They're going right. to know that you are trying to, to do X, Y, or Z with the music. And so for me, I need to first and foremost experience and watch it as an audience member. And yeah, and really just remind myself of what am I looking for? What, what am I uh, expecting this, this journey is going to, to do for me? What is, what's mm-hmm. this journey, where is this journey going to take me? And how can the music help me in that journey? So uh, I first and foremost want to be uh, reminded of the, uh, the utility and the, uh, the place that music holds in this larger story uh and then once i know what that is that's the why of why music matters here then the how of whether it's going to be uh music that's going to glue things together or it's going to be score that's going to uh uh, remind us of an emotional component or it's just uh music that's going to carry us through scene to scene Mm -hmm. regardless of what the, what the utility music is doing if I know why it's doing it then it, it can be much easier uh, to figure out 
That's very, very wonderfully put. I, I can definitely put myself in the understanding of that. Well, how do you how do you determine instruments and equipment that you want to use for different moods and different d- different patterns like what you're describing? Uh, again, it's it's really going back to uh, what do I want to feel, right? And what is that feeling? Uh, trying to narrow down as closely as possible what that feeling uh, evokes. And then, uh, and then looking within the scene and saying, well, what, what emotion is already there and uh, how can music add to that, uh, complement what's there and also not get in the way. Yeah, so yeah. then that will narrow my choices of what instruments make sense. Gotcha. Uh, rather than coming into it and saying, I think this needs strings or I think this needs piano and then realizing that, well, actually that's going to walk, that instrument's going to walk all over the, uh, right. the dialogue or the action that's there. And so I don't want to come at it with those preconceived notions. I want the scene and the emotionality of the story to tell me what's needed. And then I look at my tool toolbox of instruments and sounds and uh, techniques and then pick from that. So it's like going into a restaurant and rather than mm. uh, the chef saying, uh, today you're going to have lobster bisque and not knowing whether or not you even like it or whether or not you even have an appetite for it, uh, trying to find out, well, what do you feel like today? How do you feel today? Yeah, absolutely. What is? What did you have for breakfast? What are you going to have later? Uh, and really getting a sense of the mood of your uh, your audience and then building something that uh, that feeds off of that. And finding out somebody wants something that's home cooked, or somebody wants something yeah. that's more refined. Uh, somebody wants something simple, or somebody wants something that's very complex and ornate. You're you're trying to to serve the needs of the audience. So I don't want to dictate anything. I want mm. to try to read as much as I can from what my audience or my story is uh, telling me it needs. That seems to be a very like symbiotic relationship between you and the audience because I I love compositions and I listen to them often but I don't I don't know how frequently I think on like want it, like that 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 thought process that you're describing where you don't want it to step on the film and you want it to be a part of it rather than like take advantage of it that's that seems to be a very sticky step in the process that people don't always consider because it's just kind of there the music's always there but mm-hmm. I, it's, I appreciate it more now having thought about it that way well we're not uh, as composers of film, TV, and different media uh, we are uh, serving a larger mission Yeah, and it's not just uh, putting out an album of music that's going to be digested uh, on its own Right, and so uh, very unique because we are, yeah. It's it's uh, it needs to uh, it needs to fit into the the larger picture, and it's fitting into a spectrum where there are a lot of different colors. And uh, while you do want your color to stand out on its own and have its own value and be appreciated, at the same time you you have to fit with everything else. Otherwise, uh, it might over it might overwhelm the other colors in a way that's not mm. 
uh, that's not working. And you can have great music for a film that then uh, gets discarded because it simply is, uh, it, it doesn't fit uh, with what the overall mission of the story is. Uh, but I can sneak in, in a clever way, <laughs> those instruments or sounds that are going to be ear candy for me and right, are right. going to offer some invention, some originality, some uh, some element that excites me as a composer. Mm-hmm. So I'm, sim- I'm not just trying to provide musical wallpaper that's simply uh, uh, a jukebox for uh, an audience's emotion. Right. I'm trying to also... Uh, give them something that they didn't expect. I want to surprise. I want to confound. Uh, I want to do all the things that a score is meant to do within a story. But at the same time, I'm also a musician that wants to excite the ear in, yeah. in a way that doesn't uh, draw so much attention that you forget that it's uh, that you're watching a movie. Mm-hmm. How how often do you find that the composer's vision? interferes with like the director's vision or do you feel that there's usually a conversation had before where you're sort of on the same page like music gets turned in and maybe it doesn't click like is that is that usually a it happens it, it happens all the time uh it, it happens where uh and that's where writing music for film is a conversation because mm-hmm. i'm writing the music with the director i'm not writing it in isolation or uh yeah in uh, despite the director i uh so i have a conversation with the director before i start writing uh i will have conversations with her throughout the process when it's done when we're recording when we're mixing uh and the director is going to tell me what they i just had a, a, a session with the director yesterday and he was literally telling me which notes to pull out <laughs> Uh, which and oh. that's you know that and that's part of the process yeah. and uh, and I know a lot of composers bristle at that uh, at that reality, but they're going to if the note's not working, they're going to pull it out with or without your involvement. And I would rather yeah. be part of that conversation so that I can find another way to explain to express that musical thought uh, without that note and maybe find uh, something else that the director doesn't want to pull out and right. actually wants to uh, make that moment uh, stronger. So they may not be objecting to music in that moment. It might just be the sound of that note or the pitch or the placement. Yeah. And they're telling me, uh, like the lead singer in a band would say, well, let's, uh, maybe you can come in on a chord after I say this uh, this line, or maybe you can build up to when I say that line. It's that kind of a conversation. I look at the director as a lead singer of the band, and uh, I don't want to walk all over uh, mm-hmm. the words to the song. So uh, I'm there to support what they're trying to sing, and uh, uh, that's that's the harmony of what we're trying to do together. So it's that we are collaborating. It's by no means a, a solo venture. That's got to be such a beautiful feeling when you both click and you like see, see the image, meet the music and it just works exactly how you both picture it. 
it's magical. And a lot of times it works in a way that we could never have imagined. We, hmm. a lot of times we'll come up with something that is a happy accident where the director will say, what if you did, what if you use this instrument? Or what if you put the music there, uh, moved it a little bit here, or nudged it there. And it might go counter to what I originally thought of as, uh, uh, as, as the, the way we were going to do it and it may go counter to what they thought but we're just playing around and collaborating and brainstorming and sometimes you end up with this amazing miracle of uh, a moment that could only have happened when more than one person put their heads together to do this that is so and special it's fantastic and uh that's why i'm not doing this as a solo artist that's why i'm not uh, a composer just for uh, music that comes out of my head. I want to be inspired by the story that they're telling, the images that they put together, and their ideas that they have come up with since they shot the film, since mm-hmm. they edited the film, and all of those new ideas that have come out of that process. That now they come to me and they're like, okay, so I know we shot it like this, and I know I wrote this, and the script says that, but what if we took a little bit of a left turn and with the music we did this? because I think the film could go in this new direction. That happens all the time. Yeah. Do you, do you ever get the, the serious drive to just make your own work and work solely from yourself, or is there usually a drive to, to cooperate and to collaborate with others? Uh, I do get that uh, idea to, to write stuff that uh, inspired outside of the, the frame of a film and a story, it might mm-hmm. be uh, inspired by inner narrative and yeah, inner yeah. dialogue. Uh, and that's how I started writing music. It was, uh, I was a songwriter. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and... What'd you write about? It was uh, typical teen angst and, <laughs> uh, you know, lost loves and, uh, you know, unrequited passions and things like that. Uh and uh, yeah, I uh, wrote my first fully fleshed out song with uh, M. Night Shyamalan uh, in college because wow. I had all these uh, segments of songs and stuff and I played for him and he's like, well, why don't we just write a song? Just do, let's just do one uh, from beginning to end. And we did. We stayed up all night and we wrote a song together. How did you and, and he cross paths? Uh, we were introduced by a mutual friend uh, when we were both undergrads at NYU. Ah, NYU, yeah. very, and, very uh, cool. Yeah, and he was, uh, and continues to be a great inspiration, and uh, introduced me to the process of filmmaking. I was just a, wow. a, a songwriter doing it on the side while studying political science and economics. Oh. I had no aspirations, wow. artistic aspirations at all, uh, beyond writing songs for my own, <laughs> uh, my own enjoyment, uh, and... Uh, he heard my music and he saw uh, a, a creative spark in me that I think uh, inspired him on some level, I hope. And we became really good friends and uh, and uh, he would take me to his film classes and uh, to his uh, his shoots and he would share uh, early drafts of his scripts. And wow. Introduced me to his composer. And, uh, and along the way, when he got... Uh, first studio uh, film uh, off the ground, he asked me to write a song for, for that film called Wide Awake. And I did, and I, 
got it professionally recorded and all this stuff. And it was the first big effort I'd ever made to to do this professionally. That's incredible. And it was a, a, a wonderful experience. And even though the song never made it into the film, <laughs> uh, his encouragement got me off my butt. And it hmm. really uh, allowed me to see that I could do something uh, and have a finished uh, work that I was proud of. And it ended up in another film. There you go. Uh, very, very happily. And, uh, uh, and that got me started on the road to seeing myself collaborating in film and music. Uh, so, yeah, he was a, a, a constant source of inspiration and encouragement uh, to do this. Uh, not this specifically, but to be right. collaborative, to be creative, uh, to see that you could take an idea and take it to the nth degree and make something bigger than you thought it could ever be. Hmm. Did, the, did the path to composing feel natural after that? Since you were studying something else, did it, did it feel like, oh, this is what I should be doing? No. It, it was, again, also a very uh, accidental uh, process. Uh, at that time, uh, film composition seemed to me uh, to be the sole occupation of people who could read and write music and who studied it uh, formally uh, in the conservatory. And I had a great deal of respect for for them and that process. And I came from the rock and roll world and the uh, the art house music scene, and uh, and it was very experimental. And I didn't see a path. I didn't know that there was a path uh, to film music uh, from that source, uh, from that base. So uh, it wasn't until I started to get exposure to different kinds of films with different kinds of music that I thought, oh, wait, there is there is film music that sounds like the music I'm hearing in my head, <laughs> that uh, there is a life there. And so as technology advanced, uh, and I, I, had a, I ran a tech startup, uh, so I took a detour from music, oh. and uh, I invented uh, the world's first online help desk. Uh, when I was uh, working full time at NYU, wow! Well, uh, that's... After, after my undergrad years, and uh, and I turned that into a startup, and it we had a lot of early success, and it was a very exciting period, and uh, and then that came to an end, and uh, I realized that my real passion was music. I just didn't know how I was going to find uh-huh. an avenue. For myself and so I was exploring all these different approaches and it was during that process that I discovered that I could do I could create my own music using digital technology and it sounded like the music in my head that was <laughs> not just orchestral music wasn't just symphonic music yeah and uh, uh, and then I got asked to write music for a short film that ended up doing quite well and even though I didn't really know what I was doing, composing music for that film, I knew what the film needed, and I knew what yeah. it should sound like. Yeah. And then that turned into a, a successful collaboration. I was very fortunate to work with uh, a, a, a director who was very collaborative and very open, and it was because of her that I felt very encouraged to continue to do this. What film was it? And, uh, it was a film called God is Good, hmm. and uh, it was 
directed by uh, Karen Wecker. Okay. And she's gone on to do some uh, really wonderful feature films. And, uh, and it was written by Dennis Lee, who is a director who I've collaborated with uh, many times over. Mm. Uh, I, I scored uh, his film, Jesus Henry Christ. Uh, right. I co-scored that with um, uh, David Torn, uh, the legendary virtuoso guitarist and composer, uh, and was very much my mentor. And, uh, and then Dennis and I uh, produced Imperium together. Uh, so we had a, a great uh, a great path together as collaborators, and he wrote God is Good, that short film. Oh. So I, you know, the seeds were sown from that very early first venture uh, to future collaboration. So I saw also, also very early on that this is very much about relationships. And so it's not just about the music, it's also about how you work with one another. Yeah. and how you share ideas and again collaboration so my ideas uh, my musical ideas uh, were okay but they got so much better when I worked with really open and creative people who yeah. wanted to uh, to go further down that road so uh, I just benefited from that back and forth uh, conversation that we had uh, to make the film and the music better that sounds very beautiful. I'm happy to hear that. So, uh, the interpreters. <laughs> we haven't even touched on right. it yet. Um, I, was th- I was thinking when you were talking about personal narrative, how your experience growing up and, and, and having a perspective on the entirety, I assume at least somewhat close to home, concerning the, the documentary, how that affected like your, your composition of the piece. Really, just tell me, tell me how you feel about the content of the work and how that affected your composition of it, if sure. that makes sense. Uh, well, it's, uh, as an immigrant, uh, mm-hmm. even though I didn't immigrate from uh, the Middle East right. or South Asia, which is where my family is from, uh, I immigrated from England. I was born there and then I oh. moved here, but I was raised in a Muslim household mm-hmm. uh, from India that was also uh, a time capsule because they left their home in the 60s. So uh. in their mind, their culture is still in that uh, that time zone of uh, what it was like way back when, and it hasn't really advanced. So That's scary. Uh, I was in that cultural time capsule. Uh, and being in England and then in America, uh, being in the West, as uh, someone who's in between worlds, uh, felt very much like uh, being that person who's trying to interpret culture and intention mm-hmm. and uh, wanting to be as helpful and as uh, uh, and as able as I could to fit into a different narrative mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't my own. And in that way, I, I completely related to these translators uh, in the interpreters, where they are, they are in their homeland, but know that it needs to uh, needs to become better. Right. They're in this transitional place. Uh, whether they chose uh, a future for their nation or not, it was going to change uh, because of war, because of uh, all these other outside forces, and they had to make a choice of how they were going to fit into that narrative. And through their 
circumstance through their uh, their skills as uh, people with multiple languages, they were able to uh, chart a future, a possible future where they could help make their their homeland better and also uh, provide for their families and themselves mm-hmm. uh, a path uh, to some safety, to some uh, future where there is democracy in their homeland, where there is uh, a place for them in democracy in the West. Uh, so I really related to that feeling of trying to find a path for yourself in a yeah. world that seems very unfamiliar uh, and also feeling very uh, uh, targeted because you're seen as abandoning uh, the legacies and the heritage of your culture Yeah, because you are aligning with uh, the foreigner, the invader, the, uh, the, the unfamiliar. And you're, you feel very uh, uh, torn about what you're doing and how you're going about doing it. So, um, uh, so I related to that. And so the music came out of that emotional place of being in between worlds. And so I wanted the music to incorporate elements of contemporary music mm-hmm. and sounds and also have that pull back to your past of uh, what, is, what does it sound like in your heart and in your spirit when you are uh, feeling the guilt and feeling the, the pull back to someplace familiar. Right. Uh, so I, I try to incorporate uh, a lot of disquieting modern elements and a lot of comfortable familiar elements uh, that these characters might experience. Uh, emotionally, not not things that they might uh, consciously hear, but uh, so those were some of the very obvious elements. And then there's the the piece of the story, which is we don't know what's going to happen to these people. Mm-hmm. This is a, a real life drama and thriller, and in some ways a horror film. And absolutely, it's playing out in real time. So I wanted to score it as we are experiencing it. It's terrifying. Uh, and so the music is is meant to be uh, uh, uncomfortable uh, and uh, impactful and moving. And whether I accomplish that or not, I, I I leave it to the audience to tell me what they felt when they see the movie. Uh, but that's what I was trying to uh, capture when I would experience each of those scenes. Well, I can tell you that from watching it I felt the the two things I would say I felt most was a sort of uncertainty to the music like like there were moments where the music felt gentle and I don't know if hopeful is the word I would use but I mean maybe like optimistic in a way like slightly but it always it always felt a little apprehensive which I appreciated and because that's that felt to be the tone of it because like it's it's all these little victories and all these little things look, being looked forward to, whether it be the visas passing or receiving an email, and and so the music can be, you know, excitable in those moments, but but then there there was always like a hesitation to it, like but the underlying, you know, situation is not one that's going to be solved this quickly, so that's what I felt. Right. That's what I felt when watching right. it. Well, thanks. That that is. That was a big 
part of uh, what we were going for, which is that apprehension, that uh, uh, that uh, trepidation mm-hmm. of uh, yeah, I'm hopeful that this can turn out well and that my intentions uh, will be rewarded. Yeah. Uh, but knowing that it is uh, it is war and uh, it's just not something that uh, we can uh, place any concrete expectations on. No, it's... And, yeah. It's crazy because... I. I I like to preface it with saying that I don't consider myself to be like overtly political and I, I often just like to observe and try to understand all perspectives, though there is like obviously ways that my heart follow. But I was just watching it and like the entire situation with the Muslim ban with Trump, like it's not that it escaped my mind, but it, it just made me realize like there have been so many things that have made me feel like sick in a way that have happened in the past couple of years that like, I, I almost completely forgot about that situation and how serious that was and how serious it still is. And it, right. it was just like eye opening again. Like, like when it all happened, I was just in disbelief because it just feels like it's like coming from a place of like pride and hatred in a way. And that's just my personal feelings from it. But, but there've been so many other things that happened that I like, I almost disregarded it. And then you feel like this sort of guilt. So th- that's sure. that's what it did for me is it, it put it in perspective, especially with the fact that like the impeachment that's happening, like it's, it's just a wild time. <laughs> I guess right. is the best way to put there's, it. There's, and and it's, it's, I think partly it's circumstantial, but I think the other uh, part of it is quite deliberate to overwhelm uh, the process. Mm-hmm. with uh, a lot of uh, policy and a lot of action that is meant to overwhelm uh, in the process so that you don't get, you're not able to make sense of how this is going to right. be realized in reality. And what I think the, the film does really well is uh, it zeroes in, it focuses in a very laser-like way on uh, what this means on the ground to real people. Yeah, so, I, okay, I appreciate that. about a Muslim ban, it, it's a huge thing. There's so many countries involved. Uh, and how does that affect real people? Well, here you go. Right. It affects these people because now they have to, uh, they have to leave their homes. They've been uh, promised asylum, and now uh, that's going to be uh, eliminated because now there's this... Uh, this blanket ban that's going to be placed on their nation, and uh, uh, they are being swept under that. Uh, I, I think and, it's very impressive. Yeah. Like, like the 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 documentary does a wonderful job of not feeling any sort of bias, and like you you feel who you're rooting for, but it's not because like the documentary is framing it that way, and it really doesn't. It doesn't even seem to vilify. Right anything in particular it just lays it all out which i appreciate so much because that's like a slippery slope now well yeah and it's it's meant to be as balanced as it as it may as we could make it uh, and i speak to speak to this as one of the producers mm-hmm. where this problem began during the bush era uh and right. continued on through 
the Obama administration. So it's not like this is a yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, solely a Republican problem. It's, uh, right. it, this has been a longstanding uh, blight on our, on our government and on their uh, lack of, uh, uh, they're just not honoring their, their promise. Uh, mm-hmm. to, and whether that's, you want to talk about deep state or uh, hidden agendas or uh, other, uh, other motives, the fact is that even though things are worse now for asylum seekers, it's not like they had an open door policy before, mm-hmm. even though they were promised right. uh, a, uh, a streamlined process because they had already been granted uh, access and were trusted uh, partners in the war. So uh, I, I, it's uh, for anybody who watches this and has an alliance or a, uh, a support for uh, the current administration, I would say, uh, yes, this is damning towards the current policies, but it by no means uh, excuses uh, the, the inexcusable uh, uh, policy of prior administrations right. either. That's very important very important because sometimes it can feel like an attack on like the now and it's it's ignorant to the like it, it doesn't all happen overnight you know no I and mean, the reality is that we live in the now and we can uh make a difference we can act now on what the current state of of the the, the interpreter's situation is mm-hmm. and so for that reason the anger towards our current administration is warranted because they have uh, the ability to make a difference in these people's lives. And Absolutely. by not doing it, they are actively choosing to, uh, to reject and to, uh, uh, to turn their backs on the promises that, uh, that have been made for many years. So uh, that's, I think, why there is this anger towards the current administration in this specific uh, instance because we can't go back to the Bush administration or the Obama administration and yell at those people to make a difference. They they don't have the ability to make those changes anymore, right. but the people who are in, in power now can. Right. Do you, do you think the film has has the power or ability to mend some of the possible prejudice or confusion revolving situation like do you think it's a important piece in the timeline of getting better i think it's one of many uh drips in the ocean of right. uh, uh of stories and reminders that uh that this is a very uh complicated issue yeah. uh, and that because it's complicated we can't make blanket statements that uh this party or this group of people is good or bad, uh, I think it hopefully will inform people so that they can ask more intelligent questions about their own uh, perception of what uh, a foreigner, an asylum seeker, a Mm -hmm. refugee uh, is motivated to do, what their intentions are, what their their history has been and what their involvement as partners 
right. uh, has been. So that it's not as simple as someone is just trying to invade our country uh, because they uh, they see gold in you know lying on the streets here. Mm-hmm. It's, you will see that people have made sacrifices uh, to help us, and uh, and we have made promises to them, and that's not something that everybody knows about. Right. So, uh, and it's a very complicated story. Of, we just like my job as a composer is to collaborate with filmmakers and storytellers. Uh, we don't live in this country isolated from the rest of the world. We have to collaborate with everybody. Mm-hmm. And if we don't, then we will, we will live a very, uh, uh, a very limited, uh, existence. Yeah. Uh, and it'd be very, uh, short-sighted for us to, uh, to restrict that, uh, that involvement. And you can look at that just very simply with, uh, what, with how Trump speaks of China and yet is very actively trying to uh, renegotiate terms with them. Mm-hmm. If they were simply uh, the bad guys that uh, that he sometimes will speak of them as, then there would be no point in, in having any sort of trade talks. So it's obviously very complicated, and for that reason, we can't simply make any kinds of blanket statements. Yeah. Do you, do you feel fulfilled in, in your in your part of the action? Do you feel like composing for this documentary was more fulfilling and like you feel like you're doing something? I'm doing whatever it is that I can do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's part of Actually, that you know, I, I, I guess yeah. I'll rephrase that a little bit. Like, do you at all even feel an obligation or responsibility in order to feel that fulfillment, if that makes sense? Uh, well, my, my obligation uh, is on the base human level is I want to help tell stories that are uh, that speak to to me as an artist and as a person where these are stories that I want to see as mm-hmm. an audience member. Uh, I want to see stories that I haven't seen or heard before. Yeah. So if I can help put them out and uh, expose them to more people. That's what I want to do as an artist and as a as a, uh, mm-hmm. as a person who's connected to uh, to other people in this world uh, and cares about their stories just as much as I want them to care about my story. Right. Uh, and then there's the level of just being a composer. Uh, I want my music to help tell a powerful story, Absolutely. regardless of what that story is. I, I want uh, my music to make a difference in how the story is being told. And it can be about a child and their uh, teddy bear, or it can be about uh, these two people from opposite ends of the earth and from different political and religious backgrounds coming together as brothers uh, to do something that's uh, bigger than both of them. Absolutely. Uh, that, you know, as a, as a musician, as somebody who's telling stories through music, uh, I want to be able to tell both of those kinds of stories yeah. uh, through music. So... Uh, uh, so my obligation is it, it, it involves both of those levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can't just be one, uh, because otherwise I would, uh, help to tell stories that aren't going to make a difference. Yeah. So why, what's the point of that story? Well, thank you so much, Simon. 
It's my pleasure. I appreciate thank your you for, uh, your thoughtfulness and yeah, sensitivity. Thank you for the conversation. Absolutely, it was a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Cool. I hope um, I hope we cross paths someday. I'm also venturing into film, so so I hope that, that someday we get to cross paths. Oh, indeed. Yeah, I'd uh, love to sit down over a cup of coffee and talk more. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Simon. I'll uh, I'll update you and your team on when this will be up, and I'll probably watch that again. Great. And, and I appreciate the new perspective and your sensitivity to the subject. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. You have a good day, Simon. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye.